Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rice. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at the Bird Rice and get all the latest on your Pelicans at thebirdrights.com. fans i'm your host for the first half of this podcast trevor ritchie i'll be recapping the 125 to 116 loss the new orleans pelicans had tonight against the toronto raptors your pelicans fall to eight and seven with this loss Um, just to overview some stats demarcus cousins 25 points nine rebounds five assists uh, four steals and six turnovers AD with 19 points, 5 rebounds, 3 steals. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. And Holiday with 18 points, 4 rebounds, and 5 assists. Uh, the Pelicans were rebounded overall. They did end up having less turnovers. I believe Toronto had around 21, and New Orleans had 14. Those turnovers crept in on the Pelicans at, at an inopportune time. I would say around the second quarter, but overall at the end... Uh, New Orleans ended up allowing the Raptors to shoot an impressive 59% from the field and 47% from three. New Orleans did shoot a respectable 50% from the field themselves, but only shot 37% from three. Toronto did what any team would want to do against the Pelicans, and that's get the New Orleans bigs in foul trouble early. It didn't play as huge of a role, in my opinion, as Gentry, head coach Alvin Gentry pointed to post-game. DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis probably combined for around 70 minutes without the late-game garbage time anyway. I understand that that foul trouble does take away from the defensive aggression that those guys are able to have late, which attributed to the Raptors' ability to go on that second-half run. And I do understand that um, in the first half, I thought I saw what we need to see from Rondo 
Drew, Dante, and Czech Diallo from on, on a nightly basis. However, that is unlikely. I felt like the more com- comfortable and the easier the offense got past the first quarter, which was impressive. I believe Pelicans had a five-point lead, 34-29 to 29 at the end of the first quarter. But, but the deeper that offense got in, into uh, a rhythm, it, it seemed like the more the defense slacked. And once those mild turnovers started to creep in and the cold shooting set in in the second half, that game started to fade away. And one of my takeaways from this game is that, that Rondo is going to be the gorilla glue of this roster. Once he left, he, he started the game with about seven minutes. I believe he had around f- four points and three assists, if I'm not mistaken. When he came out and once he was done, he played all of his 14 uh, restricted minutes in the first half. Once he left, he ended the game with uh, four points and eight assists in 14 minutes. But once he left, the, the Pelicans went cold. The game got chippy. It almost seemed as if New Orleans was on, on the verge of a meltdown, honestly. And it seemed like they could have really valued his presence for the entire game, and I understand that that's not a, that wasn't a possibility tonight. But it was evident how valuable he'll be. And so I'm going to dub him the gorilla glue of this roster. If you look at the stat sheet, you might see DeMarcus with 25 points, Davis with 19, Holiday with 18, you get a solid eight assists from Rondo. And in 13 minutes from Sheck Diallo, you get eight points and three rebounds. The great performance by him. I feel like every time Diallo steps on that court and we have a chance to watch him, that he looks more comfortable. He has a ton to learn on the defensive end of the court. And that goes without saying, honestly. But it seems like every minute that he gets out there is extremely valuable to his development. But like I was saying, when you see 25, 19, and 18 points respectively for the big three, you wonder how you lose. You would think there's not going to be many nights when you get those numbers and and this Pelicans team loses with that. However, DeMarcus had another night where six turnovers pops up in the stat sheet. And like I said earlier, the Pelicans did a good job of forcing turnovers. They forced 21 um demarcus had four steals ad had three steals great on that end but you look at the other side of the stat sheet where where that defense was just lacking and they got diced up by the all-star backcourt of demar Derozan and kyle lowry for toronto demar had 25 9 and 6 Kyle had 22, 11, and 9. Serge Ibaka had 12 points and 4 rebounds. Valanchunas, who, who was battling all night, he, he got some calls from the refs that I'm sorry, but they were treating him like a superstar in the first half, and then it, it came to uh, creep up on him a little bit in the second half, and it, it got chippy, but he had 21 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 assists. And then you see C.J. Miles off the bench with 17 points and 3 rebounds. The Raptors had 7 players in double digits, and, and that's how you lose. Your offense can be great, but like I said earlier, when that offense got into a rhythm for New Orleans, it, it seemed like, the, like I said, the easier it got on that side of the court, that, that kind of ease and, and lackadaisical 
attitude transferred to the defensive end. And there were a couple times where you could see Valanciunas just drive to the basket easy. Uh, the the ball movement that Toronto had was impressive and freed up some shooters, and, and they just didn't honestly go cold. And there's not much else to pull from this other than the defense didn't look great. You didn't get another 34-point performance from Holiday, and Rondo is that glue that's going to hold this team together when it comes to limiting turnovers, making st- smart plays, and, and getting that spark as far as eight assists in 14 minutes. If you translate that to 30, you're getting around 16 assists and my prediction still stands with that. And it might happen when the Pelicans and we'll go ahead and talk about that transitioning into the second half of this podcast with the Pelicans playing the Denver Nuggets next on the road. I'm hoping that you see Rondo, uh, his minute restriction go up to maybe 20 to 25 minutes. And if he plays anywhere close to 25 minutes, my prediction is going to stand that Rajon Rondo will have, at least 10 points and 10 assists in that game. And should that happen and should that minute restriction increase, I think our chances in that game are very good for a, for a win. There's not really much else to see in this game. Uh, Gentry was a little reserved about pointing to what I think some of the issues were in this. I said in the last podcast that when you're getting the performance like you are out of DeMarcus, but those turnovers plague him, you either have to make him work in the post, which he did some tonight. You have to make him work in the post and get the ball out of his hands on the perimeter and stop letting him play point boogie or put him on the bench. And he did have to go to the bench because of that foul trouble. And like I said, it's full circle. Diallo gave a solid production. You can't, when when you have when you have that happen and it's going to happen you have to be prepared diallo came in he was prepared he provided exactly what you would want out of him off the bench when that situation arises and and you just have to work from there and find a way to win and the pelicans weren't able to grind that out in the second half i feel like the flow was messed up from rondo not being able to play in that second half i feel like if he would have played in that second half it's probably a different story and it's probably a win but I've said multiple times that the Pelicans are going to ride this 500 level for most of the season as long as they don't fall deep under that, which they still sit above it and they still have their head above water. But as long as they don't fall deep under it, they're going to be fine. And it's going to be something they're an, an area they're going to ride all season. They're, they're only at best going to be maybe five games above 500. And, and that's best case scenario, in my opinion. So that's just going to be something that uh, Pelicans fans are going to have to settle with. And, and they're going to have to realize that when this team goes win for loss for win for loss back and forth all season, it, it's just the narrative that you're going to have to ride. Uh, please stick around and enjoy the second half of this podcast as Preston Ellis previews the New Orleans Pelicans next matchup against the Denver Nuggets. That game will be Friday, November 17th. And tip-off is set for 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Go Pels. All right, welcome to part two, Pels fans, where we are discussing the Denver Nuggets with the editor of NugLove.com, Matthew Huff. What's up, Matt? Not much. How are you doing? Dude, I'm so good. I'm so happy to have you back. It's been a while. Uh, Matthew was one of my first guests back when I was podcasting at Pelican Debrief, and we did a Western Conference preview uh, here, and I can't remember if we did that at Pelican Debrief, or I think it was for the bird rights back in July. Do you remember, Matt? Yeah, it was back in July. It's been since the summer, I know that. So, 
you know, with one of the free agent frenzy was going on. So yeah, right. It's been a it's been a hot second. Uh, we're happy to have you back, man. Of course, follow him at Huff H U F F underscore Mellow Seven and at Nug Love. That's uh, two G's. Um, are you going to be live tweeting on Friday night? By the way, yes, I will be. Nice. So make sure you find him. And of course, follow Nug Love. I'm sure somebody will be live tweeting through there as well. Matt, let's get into it, man. Uh, first question before we get to the game. Uh, I didn't understand the move at the time, and it seems like it, it looks worse over time now because, of course, the Denver Nuggets could have in no way, shape, or form know that they'd be able to acquire Paul Millsap from the Atlanta Hawks. But but still, the Nuggets traded the rights to Donovan Mitchell for Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon. How much does that sting right now? Uh, right now, it stings quite a bit. I mean, at the time, I actually wasn't too happy with us selecting Mitchell because you know, he plays shooting guard, and we already got Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, who at the time was playing, you know, or, well, came into the league as a shooting guard. So it's kind of a puzzling move, but now that we're seeing him set out, you know, that along with, you know, the Rudy Gobert trade, seeing him go off, go off for the Jazz really stings as a Nuggets fan. So I think... Right now, kind of the general consensus among the fan base is do not trade with Utah because you're be- we're bound to get burned by them if we trade a player to them somehow. So, Yeah, they're looking good with that Ricky Rubio trade, too. And not only that, you guys have Will Barton and my own personal man crush. I had to bring him up, Malik Beasley. Uh, one of my first articles at Pelican Debrief was this in-depth, like, I don't know, seven-page, probably like 2,000-word article on Malik Beasley. So I'm very happy to see that he's getting some minutes with you guys this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, All right. Go for it. Talk about Beasley. I- I'll never cut you off on Beasley. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he's not putting up, you know, stellar numbers, but when he's in, I mean, he's being very aggressive and he's showing no fear, which is a very welcome sign. And I remember I was watching, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, where we were playing the Thunder on TNT. And they, I mean, they're not putting him in when there's like, you know, it's garbage time. I mean, they're putting him for some meaningful minutes. Like Coach Malone, like, pulled him aside at one point saying, you know, like, you know, just calm down. I love, but continue to be aggressive because he had like one play where he kind of, you know, forced it between two defenders and he lost the ball. But you, you know, you just have to love the fact that the kid's so young and he's got so much confidence in himself. Yeah, he's going to be a good player. I firmly, I, I would uh, tie my horse to that wagon. Um, great defender, great three and D type guy. Um, you guys are listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. We are talking to Matthew Huff of NugLove.com. Let's get into it, dude. Uh, we, of course, are here because the Denver Nuggets face off against the Pelicans this Friday night at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. So you know that I won't be up for this one, but you will, Matthew. And it's an important one because the Pelicans and the Nuggets always seem to find each other near that eighth-seeded finish line when the playoffs come around. As it stands right now, coincidentally, both teams sit at eight and six with the Pelicans squaring off with the Raptors at home tonight. The Nuggets' wins came against the Kings, Hawks, Nets, Raptors, Heat, Nets again, and Thunder, and lost games to the Jazz, Wiz, Hornets, Knicks. And I'm doing this off memory. I think the Blazers and the Warriors... Uh, their last yeah. matchup that really mattered came on April 4th when Drew Holiday gave up consecutive turnovers to lose 134 to 131. Gallo, Harris, and Jokic uh, led the Nuggets with 20, 23, and 21. AD had 41. Boogie had 30 and 14. Matt, you're, I'm going to wrap this up quickly now, I promise. Your team added Paul Millsap, Trey Lyles, Richard Jefferson, and Tyler Lydon. And you only really lost Jameer Nelson, Roy Hibbert, and Mike Miller. So uh, how are the 2017 Nuggets different than the team we saw last season? 
Well, for one, I can tell you right now that they're a lot more defensive-minded. I mean, there's still a lot of room for improvement on the defensive front, but if you compare it to last year when I think we were like 29th in defensive efficiency to where we're at this year, I mean, it's so much better, you know, on that end of the court. And plus, you know, we're just more experienced. You know, a lot of that youth got some good experience last year, and so now it's kind of translating to this year in key moments. You know, you got Gary Harris, who's – coming off fresh off a new contract extension. You have Nikola Jokic, who just continues to grow as a player, not just offensively. I mean, I did, recently did a piece on how he's really actually kind of showing some improvements defensively as well. And, of course, you've got, you know, the veteran leadership of Paul Millsap. And then Will Barton, who, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, kind of a streaky player. But, you know, with it, it being kind of his contract here, you know he's going to be playing with something to prove. So, I mean, this year, I mean, I mean, we were only one win away from the playoffs this year, and then you you know, you know, only really lose Gallinari and Jameer Nelson, and then you, but you add a player in Paul Millsap. I mean, that's going to cause some problems for other teams in the West. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's dive deeper into some of those numbers. You mentioned the defense uh, taking a step forward. According to TeamRankings.com, the Nuggets uh, have taken a, a kind of a step back offensively, but have taken a, a leap forward, as you mentioned, defensively, yeah. finishing right around the top 10 in most categories. I think you guys are somewhere around 16th offensively and 11th defensively. Uh, however, the Nuggets still come close to leading the league and fast break points, uh, points in the paint and assists. So you're still moving the ball and you're still running up and down the floor. But why has the team changed so much in terms of these numbers after leading the league in scoring last year once Jokic entered the starting lineup? Is it just purely the addition of Paul Millsap? I want to say it's solely on him, but it's definitely a um, big major part of it because you've got to insert him into the rotation when you have a star caliber like him. You've got to get him his touches and then try to integrate that into an offensive scheme, which was clicking on all cylinders last year, that can take a while to mesh. But, you know, at the same time, and I think like last week he was asked a question in an interview, you know, and he gave a very honest response because they asked him how comfortable he is with Den- learning Denver's offensive system. And he said, he, he said he was only at like on a scale of one to 10, he was only at like a seven right now. So, I mean, I gotta give him credit for being honest about it. But then you, I mean, you also lose a big you know, perimeter threat in Danilo Gallinari, and then you have to figure out, okay, who's going to step up? Because, like, you know, we thought it was going to be Wilson Chandler, but Chandler has really kind of struggled out of the gate this year, which makes you wonder, you know, was he really better coming off the bench? Because that's where he thrived last season in the second unit, and then you insert him into the starting rotation this year, and he's just having these, like, sluggish numbers. And then then you plus Jamal Murray is just, in playing learning a new position as well you know you move him to shoot from shooting guard to point guard which you know you would think okay yeah whatever still in the backcourt but I mean you're now he's being asked to handle a lot of the ball handling responsibilities as a starter nonetheless so as a result it just it's a lot of growing pains overall with all that you know tinkering of the new offense uh, let's talk a bit more about that, because uh, a lot of national media types were killing the Nuggets. Uh, I guess it was about two weeks ago when the Pelicans acquired Jameer Nelson. You guys uh, let him go uh, in order to pick up Richard Jefferson, who's only averaging about six minutes for you guys uh, right now. Talk about uh, the experiment taking place at point guard a little bit more. You mentioned Jamal Murray, also Manuel Moutier, who kind of was uh, was on the outs with you guys. He's back up to 23 minutes per game, playing a little bit better. Yeah. Talk about the situation at point guard. 
Well, it's a very interesting situation. Like with Murray, I kind of talked about how he's had some growing pains, but then he'll like, you know, like I think recently, I think last week, he had a streak of three straight games where he had 20 or more points. And then, you know, he'll have like a hiccup here and there. But that's to be expected with someone who's as young as him and is, you know, trying to learn a new position. And it's such a welcome sign for Nuggets fans to see a Moutier thriving off the bench because, you know, this was a guy who a lot of people are kind of throwing, you know, that B word, you know, the best word around with him just since he just could not get it going in the past two seasons. And now, you know, he comes off the bench. I mean, like in the Oklahoma City game, he, he led the way with 21 points and he shot 80% from the field. I mean, those are like those type of numbers for a bench player are almost unheard of on a consistent basis. Not that he is you know, putting those numbers up consistently, but I think he's averaging around like 15 points per game or something like that, which is a major improvement from the last two years where they've asked him to be the starter. Yeah, Moody is uh, averaging 12 points per game in only 23 oh. minutes, and right now he's an insane 40, uh, 47% from three-point range, which is a dramatic improvement, as you mentioned. Um, I want to get back to uh, to some of the defensive stuff that we were talking about. Obviously, Gary Harris didn't play in the Monday night contest with the Portland Trailblazers with a shoulder. Before we get on this defensive question, will he be back for Friday's game against the Pelicans? I would say he is. I mean, he's had since Monday, he's almost had a whole week to rest up. and then Because he also missed the game before that. I'm trying to remember who he played before Portland you know, sitting out when they they um, started Will Barton in this place. And Gary is the type of player who is just, you know, he loves the game too much to be sitting out a string of games, and he's going to do everything in his, his power to get back on the court as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It was the Orlando Magic, and Will Barton put yes. up 26, 10, and 5 in 38 minutes. And you guys played really well, and you won that game by double digits. Back to the defensive question that I wanted to ask you guys. Um, you guys get a lot of turnovers on defense, and you don't foul. Uh, you rank fourth in both categories. And um, the reason I brought up Gary Harris was because he's averaging two steals per game. And uh, Nikola Jokic, who was fresh off his uh, Western Conference Player of the Week, was averaging two and a half steals last week in addition to, I think, 22 points and somewhere around 13 rebounds. Talk about how opportunistic uh, the Nuggets have become on defense. Well, they've become very opportunistic, and I, ha- I strongly believe a lot of that has to do with Paul Millsap coming in because, I mean, this is a guy – yeah, we know he can get it done offensively, but it was kind of an unsung hero on the defensive end in Atlanta. And then you add that to the mix to a you know struggling young team who can't get it going defensively, and then you give him a young budding superstar and Nikola Jokic to kind of mentor, and it, you know just, things just start to fall into place. And I mean, Coach Malone, a lot and a lot of Nuggets fans, you know, it's very divided among our fan base when it comes to Coach Malone. But Coach Malone originally came in more known as a defensive-minded coach. So I think a lot of it may have finally have to do with the fact that he's got the type of personnel he wants and he can actually work with in terms of defense. Uh, talk a bit more about that. I'm all for getting the, the Denver uh, fan perspective on things. Why are the Denver Nuggets fans so divided on on Malone right now? Well, it's been going on for the last few few seasons because a lot of them, like, you know, feel that he he doesn't know how to, like, manage the rotation. Like, you know, like at the beginning of this year in particular, I remember there 
when we had a couple of those losses, people were mad that he was sitting, you know, Jokic at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and they thought, okay, why is our best player sitting on the bench when we need him the most? Or, you know, they don't, you know, or they were unhappy with him like last year, not putting in the young guys when, you know, the game was out of reach. Like, you know, continually letting Beasley and Hernan Gomez sit when it's like, okay, why not let the young guys get some run time since we're probably going to lose this game anyway. But then you have the other side where it's like, well, he came from Sacramento and people forget he was the only coach the Kings had that DeMarcus Cousins actually likes when he was there. So, I mean, so it's, so there, there's the perspective that he he can deal with, you know, those star type of personalities that can, you know, kind of really damage a coach's reputation. But so I mean, it's just it's got to be a, it's a very delicate topic with the fans when it comes to our head coach. I was almost saying, uh, thinking that he's being wasted in Denver because you don't have a lot of hotheads in in Denver. I can't remember uh, who the highlight was against, but uh, somebody was was saying something to Nikola Jokic last year, and it was on some highlight on ESPN or uh, NBA League Pass, where Jokic was just like, he had his arms up in the air, and he was just like, cool off, man, we're good. Uh, so you've got a, a bunch <laughs> of guys who just uh, play hard and don't don't really do a lot of the stuff that Boogie does. Um, let's talk your most recent matchup in Portland. Before we do that, you guys are listening to the Bird Rice on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. We are talking to Matthew Huff of Nuglove.com. Now, uh, the Nuggets played on Monday night without young scoring guard Gary Harris, who we mentioned he suffered a shoulder injury and missed two games. Uh, without him in the lineup, you guys had a terrible shooting night, going 35% yeah. from the floor and something like 23% from three. What were the Blazers able to do defensively that kept the Nuggets from uh, being effective offensively, or was it just an off night for you guys? I think it was a combination of both. Portland did a good job because a lot of our one of our main facets of our offense is getting just like high quality shots that, you know, aren't too hard to hit you like, you know, wide open shots or shots at the rim. And what they did was they just took those away and forced us into tough shots that, you know, yeah, you can make, but not on a high, high cliff. And then part of it, you know, you're on the road. You just came off a, well, I think it was like a five or six game homestand. So you got to get kind of, you know, used to traveling again. And plus it's a rivalry and, you know, just the, a lot of times the jitters can just get to you, I think. And plus, I mean, yeah, touching on your point about how we miss Gary Harris, we didn't miss him just offensively, but we really missed him defensively because I think C.J. McCollum is who he would have been matched up against, and McCollum just burned us. He had, I think, like 17 points on like 63% shooting against us. And I'm not saying that he would have absolutely shut McCollum down, but, you know, at least Harris, we really missed Harris because we needed at least contain Willard or McCollum, one of those two stars that Portland has if we wanted to have any chance, and we were able to contain either of them. All right. Uh, I'm going to make this kind of a two-part question, just offensively in terms of uh, stacking up against the Pelicans. Um, you've got six players averaging double digits. You've got Paul Millsap. You've got Nikola Jokic, both at around 16. And then you've got Jamal Murray at 13, Gary Harris at 12, Emmanuel Moutier at just under 12. And then you've got Will Barton at 15 points per game on a pretty nice 46% from the field, 41% from three. And then on top of that, you guys, I think, are something around the fourth uh, best team at offensive rebounding. Talk a bit about your offensive game, who your playmakers are, and most importantly, who the guys coming off the bench who are really going to torch the Pelican second units. 
Well, the one guy that I can think of right off the top of my head who might give you guys some fits from our second unit is Emmanuel Moutier, just with the way he's been playing this year. You know, at first, when I first saw him have that really good game of the season, I thought, oh, you know, it's just, you know, it's typical Moutier's when I have one game, good game, and then a string of bad games and just be up and down like usual. But then he started stringing together them on a consistent basis. And I was like, okay, hold on here, you know. So the fact that he's been doing that and, you know, he's had very few bad games this year, that tells me that, you know, he's really thriving off the bench and that's kind of where he belongs. And, you know, and plus, you know, the fact that he and Jameer Nelson have probably matched up together a lot over the past couple of years in practice when they were both on Denver, you know, I mean, yeah, it works two ways. Both will know their tendencies, but I think Moutier will just kind of want to have something to prove against, you know, kind of his old mentor, if you will, and just, yeah, offensively speaking, I mean, the playmakers obviously are Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap, but then, I mean, Jamal Murray has really done a pretty good job despite some of the growing pains at the point guard spot this year. You know, and then Gary Harris is just, you know, he's going to do his thing. He's going to, you know, get his efficient shooting night and then get grab a couple steals and shut down his man to the best that he can. And then, I mean, Will Barton is just – like I kind of touched this on this earlier, you know, I think he's just vying for a new contract because he's a free agent next year. So he's going to be wanting to put up some really good numbers because he, because, you know, I firmly believe that he thinks he deserves a contract, a good contract. And I like that type of confidence in a player. Uh, okay. You guys are listening to the bird rights on nothing but net network here on dash radio. Uh, let's talk defensively for the nuggets right now. Like I mentioned, you guys don't foul, but the Pelicans are in the top 10 in creating art causing fouls on offense, I should say. And uh, a bunch of teams have frustrated the Pelicans with a lot of depth at big men like the Toronto Raptors and the Atlanta Hawks and the Los Angeles Clippers, and that they can just keep throwing bodies at DeMarcus Cousins. And once he gets frustrated, you're going to really see the Pelicans start struggling, although Alvin Gentry did finally pull a boogie uh, against the Hawks, and that created a turnaround that led to a, a one-point victory, and I'll, I'll have you know. You guys don't have too much in terms of guys who can match up against boogie. Obviously, you have Nikola Jokic. You have Mason Plumley. Uh, we talked about this off the air. Hernan Gomez has not been playing a lot this year, three games at five minutes, because he's been suffering from mononucleosis. Are we going to expect to see him on Friday night? I am going to go out on a limb here and say that we will see very little of him just because Coach Malone seems to keep being very cautious with him. And, I mean, I can't really blame him because, you know, mono is something you probably don't want to mess with anyway. But, yeah, we we definitely have kind of missed him. That's been the one part thing this, this year because he can really stretch the floor. He can play both the three and the four spots. So some version of, uh, if we won't get a chance to see him, some version of Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap are going to have to alternate on Boogie because he's done a great job of causing fouls right. and then Plumley off the bench. And then we've got Daryl Arthur lurking at 10 minutes per game. Is he good for uh, two to three first half fouls? Yes, I, he, Arthur will be good for at least that amount. Cause, I mean, we don't need Arthur to drop 20 or anything, you know, but Arthur can, you know, at, le at the very least, put a body on Boogie. You know, I'm not, he's probably not going to be able to contain him, but he'll at least kind of make life a little bit difficult for him, which will give Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic at least enough of a breather for them to kind of, you know, catch their breath and come back in and see what they can do against that, that star front court of yours.
Now, the last wild card the Pelicans have available, other than their obvious two superstars, you'll have Gary Harris matched up against Drew Holiday, and that'll be a fun one to watch because uh, these guys yeah. are similar in a lot of ways. Uh, but then you've got Jamal Murray against Rajon Rondo. Obviously, you'd expect uh, Murray, with his athleticism and his youth, to maybe uh, take advantage of Rondo on the offensive side for the Nuggets. But defensively, uh, you know, we just haven't seen Rondo really play with the Pelicans uh, this year. Of course, he was fantastic in the playoffs for the Chicago Bulls. He's a heady player. He made a, uh, two very crisp passes in his five minutes against the Hawks that led to ver uh, two very quick assists. He found a backdoor cut that got him a, an easy lay-in. Uh, talk about Jamal Murray's defensive awareness and how he's going to be able to slow down our, uh, as we call him, our, our floor general. Oh, that's going to sound pretty harsh, but I'm just going to put it out there. He's not going to be able to slow down Rajon Rondo on defense simply because Rajon Rondo's got the experience over Murray, and Rondo's, you know, been in the – I mean, well, hell, I mean, Rondo has a cha championship, whereas Murray, you know, that's been the one facet that people have faulted him on since he came to the league last year was his defense. I think – I can't remember right, but I think his defensive rating last year was somewhere around, like, the one – or something like that, like way too high. And, he, you know, he doesn't rack up many steals, and he's not definitely not going to, you know, block your your round of shots left and right. I mean, he might get like one or two lucky ones here and there. But if Murray is going to get the upper hand on Murray, or on Rondo, sorry, he is going to have to kind of get into, you know, get into, I don't want to say get into a shootout with him, but he's going to have to find ways to be effective on the offensive end to counteract what Rondo is able to do on the offensive end for you guys. Okay, I think we've covered just about everything. Wilson Chandler, obviously, you said has been struggling, but he has been playing 31 minutes per game, so we will see a, a good amount of him. But uh, hopefully Pelicans fans can can hope that he continues shooting 42% from the field and 27% from three. One guy that we didn't bring up, and uh, – I, it's it's easy to forget him. He's talked a lot uh, or floated a lot in trade rumors. I remember last offseason when we spoke multiple times, you were hoping to unload this guy, averaging 10 minutes per game, four points. The off-forgot Kenneth Fareed. What can we expect from him in this matchup? I think we'll, well, we'll get a lot of hustle and energy like usual from him. But, you know, it's going to be kind of hard for him in this matchup, especially if he comes in while your star front court is out there just simply because, you know, it's, not his fault, but he's undersized for his position. And then you have to go up against an Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins, who have a ton of length. I mean, that's a tall order for a guy like Reed. But I mean, I won't be surprised if he comes in like you know, say just a scenario I'm thinking of off the top of my head. You know, you guys are up ten on us in like late second quarter or something. Don't be surprised if Malone throws him in there just to kind of get a surge from our our start our um, bench and kind of cut the deficit it won't surprise me if he gets a couple of good putbacks here and there and maybe a highlight block or something to just kind of reinvigorate that denver squad uh it's I, i'm looking at a at a report right now actually the birdrice.com reported on this on august 3rd in 2016 uh there was talk just a year ago about pairing fareed with Anthony Davis uh, because the two played so well on uh, Team USA a few years ago. It's 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 hard to believe uh, how, fall, how far Kenneth Fareed and that uh, exorbitant contract have fallen since then, uh, barely being able to find minutes for you guys now. Uh, hope he can, he can find an alleyway somewhere else to get back on the court. Uh, I think we've covered just about everything, Matthew. Uh, go ahead and give us a prediction for what you think the 8-6 Denver Nuggets will be able to do against the uh, equal 8-6 New Orleans Pelicans. 
Well, one thing I think that a lot of people don't realize is I wouldn't be surprised if this game kind of comes to a game of kit and tat between our two coaches, kind of a case of my front court, my star front court is better than your star front court because we, you really could debate that these are the two best front courts in the entire NBA going up against each other. So I expect a heavy dose of AD and DeMarcus and then a heavy dose of Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic kind of on pick, pick and pop situations, particularly with Denver, whereas New Orleans will kind of try to bully their will made down low with Boogie and then kind of free up AD on the perimeter to kind of draw Jokic or Millsap away from the rim. And then, uh, of course, I got to go with my nuts, of course. I think it'll be a very close game, though. I'm going to go with a final score of 98-94. to 94. And I think... I'm going to say Gary Harris will be will finally have a, a kind of a breakout game, and he'll lead the way with 20 points, with Kola Jokic being the high assist man with eight assists. I know it's early in the season, but this game is a really great measuring stick for both of our franchises yeah. because although you guys uh, had those losses against the, the Blazers and the Warriors and you had some really great wins as well, these two teams really need to beat each other. We find ourselves at the same spot every single offseason in that three-way tiebreaker with some version of the, the Trailblazers or the Clippers or the Timberwolves, yeah. whoever ends up there at the end of this year. Uh, the Utah Jazz, of course, uh, have suffered – uh, four to six weeks of no Rudy Gobert. So they're going to be struggling to catch up. But yeah. at, at some point, all of us are going to be looking at each other and wondering where it all went wrong. And it's 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 here. It's mid-November, the two of us matching up, uh, really finding up where we stand. A lot of New Orleans fans uh, get on get on the Pelicans uh, beat writers because we've been so hard on our team that's won eight wins. But uh, yeah, most of our wins have come against uh, lesser opponents or we've just caught people at the right time coming off injuries. So this is going to be a really good one for both teams to see just exactly where we stack up. And we should have four, or I guess it's three, really great mashups this year. So looking forward to talking to you again, Matthew. Uh, thank you so much. Um, of course, this is at Huff underscore Mellow7 and at Nuglove. Uh, you can read all of his stuff at Nuglove.com where he, he hits that site hard every single day. Every time I check this website. You've got like two or three consecutive articles per day. There's two up right now. Uh, make sure that you guys keep updated on all the Nuggets news by heading over there. Uh, anything you want to plug, Matt? Uh, we got it covered. Nice. Uh, and, and I'm not kidding either. This guy <laughs> writes multiple stuff up there per, per day, and he's got a co-editor with him uh, shouldering some of the load. you want to plug her at all? Oh, yeah. I want to give a shout-out to my co-editor. She couldn't join us tonight, but name is Mallory Salazar. If you don't follow her, you really should. She has great content and great quality. And I mean, she's just a true, truly a blessing to have because I mean, she's really helped me out with the blog ever since she came on. Awesome. So we look forward to hopefully talking to her in the future. Thank you again to you, Matt. Thank you to Trevor for hosting part one, uh, the Raptors recap. Uh, and yeah, just stay tuned to the site, thebirdrights.com. Thank you guys so much for your support. And uh, hey, let's go Pels. Thanks for listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Bird Rights NBA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the Bird Rights for all the best coverage on the Pels. And if you really like the show and you want to show us even more love, give us a rating and review on iTunes by searching the Bird Rights. Your support has gotten us up to 45,000 downloads thus far, a spot on Nothing But Net Radio here on the Dash, and a feature on the front page of Blog Talk Radio. Now, we'll be with you guys all season, keeping you up to date on all the latest news on your favorite team. Let's go, pals!
And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.